Metro has been really hypocritical and anti-participatory and opaque about what they're really doing. Metro is also taking out a lower income uh, working class households. For these families, once they have their house, they're never going to let go of it. We are facing a climate crisis and a housing crisis. So for these families, their wealth is intrinsically tied into this community and they can't lose it because if they lose it, they can't just go buy another house. This is Bike Talk on KPFK live stream now on Zoom for the time being. And uh, today we have with us Alexandria Contreras, who is a Downey City Council candidate for District 1. And she's going up against the, uh, the mayor of the uh, City Council down there in, in Downey. Welcome to the show. Alexandria. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we're going to bring Joe Linton on as well um, from Streets Blog. He's been writing about your situation down there. Um, Metro is looking to widen the 605 freeway and also some uh, adjacent freeways and basically destroy 200 homes to do it. And your campaign really is based on uh, resisting that. Am I right? The campaign started off. So that's a huge part of the campaign now. Once I found out the news, um, that campaign is based on uh, how can Diddy, Downey be a happy city? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? Uh, and for me, it's building a more inclusive city and making sure that people in Downey feel safe when they move over through the city, uh, whether from people or from physical objects like cars. So, and, but as, you know, as the campaign goes on and I found out about the Metro expansion, uh, the fight for me is very personal against this freeway because I have my grandparents that had their homes taken away from them for a freeway project along the five. And now I found, when I found out, I was like, oh my gosh, they're gonna take our house. That is the only form of generational wealth um that my parents have left to offer I was like that's three generations of generational wealth that could have been built up just gone and I know that that's a similar situation uh for other families in the area because it's a predominantly uh Latino working class neighborhood uh so I sounded the alarm uh to basically say hey how how is it that we haven't heard anything about it uh I went down to the city council told them about it, sounded the alarm. And now the camp, that's a huge part of the campaign because this fight is gonna go last probably longer than a term in city council would be. Uh, so I wanna make sure that we have a good strong start to this fight. So that's, that's a good point. So you guys, you know, uh, people settle into a community and they, they have their homes. And right now we have, insane housing prices in Los Angeles. It's practically, it's, it's insane the way the housing market is and they're gonna kick these people out of their homes and it's not like you can just like hop right into another home and buy another house. Like they're, you know, it, they're, they're uplifting, uprooting 
of people's lives with this in the name of expanding a freeway, which Metro has already acknowledged, at least as far as I understand, is is uh, kind of pointless because when you expand a freeway, you are inducing more demand uh, on that freeway. The, the traffic is just going to increase because there's space. So it's it's sort of it's basically a boondoggle what they're doing. Uh, let's bring on Joe Linton from Street Streets Blog. Um, he's been writing about this and I'm and uh, talking about this on on uh, TV as well. So Joe, welcome to the show. Let's unmute Joe. We got to unmute Joe. Nick, let's get him unmuted. There we go. Hi. Hey, Joe. Yeah, I, I have to acknowledge first that um, Alexandria is a person who totally nailed this on Twitter, like the tweet heard around the, the world. Um, and really, uh, you know, what I learned about this project was from her. And then I started digging around online. But I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, the 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 five freeway through Downey is eight lanes and they want to make it 12 lanes plus auxiliary lanes. <laughs> it's like uh, it's uh, you know, it's insanity. The 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 according to Metro's numbers um, in August, Metro announced that they would be um, acquiring 250 parcels in Downey. And if you look along the freeway in Downey, there's a school, there's a park, and there's hundreds of homes along the freeway. <laughs> and so um, the Metro hasn't actually, Metro's not revealing, Metro will tell you how many parcels they're taking out, so-called right-of-way impacts, but they won't say what the addresses are, they won't say you know, how many homes they, they won't clarify, you know, they, they, um, you know, they're playing a lot of cards close to their chest and not, not, not releasing a lot of information. And it's, um, frankly, really opaque. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of whatever, there's, there's a lot of people's lives, a lot of families, a lot of, you know, moms and dads and kids that that are that are living in homes that they that they strive to get to, and and those and Metro is looking to take those out. And what's a little crazy too, in in my reporting this week, um, uh, the mayor who Alexandria is running against, Pacheco, and another councilwoman um, from Meta uh, were. Claudia from Etta. Go ahead, Alex. Oh, she's also the mayor pro tem. So the mayor and the mayor pro tem. Exactly. The mayor, you, you're totally right. The mayor and the mayor pro tem, they had been praising this project and continue to say they want capacity enhancements. Um, and it wasn't really till Alex raised the alarm and Streets Blog helped amplify that, um, that the city of Downey actually came out and said, Oh, okay, yeah, we don't like tearing down all those homes. So, um, so the 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 city of Downey came out against the project this week, and 
Matro's been saying all along, been sort of, I call it like patting people like Alex on the head saying like, oh, don't worry. Like we haven't made any decisions yet. Um, it's really early, you know, it's too early to be worried about this. And then uh, there's a letter that I uncovered or whether that the Gateway Cog gave to me um, where Phil Washington is saying this was decided three decades ago. So I, I call it, I mean, it's not good to kind of joke about people's homes and people's lives, but I call it Schrodinger's freeway. Like it's both too early to comment and it's too late to comment at the simultaneously. So, I mean, I just think Metro is being really, Metro is frankly gaslighting. They're saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's early and it's not early. Metro spent $60 million, spent four years on the current design process um, and, and was scheduled to approve a design this year. So um, it's, it's this project's far along. It's like barreling down at people's lives in Downey, and and uh, it's it's wretched. And I'm I'm glad that Alex and others have been able to slow that down a little. And that Metro says they might consider maybe like less right of way impacts, but um, it's Metro's been really hypocritical and anti-participatory and uh, opaque about what they're really doing. So is there, have they already done an EIR with this or, you know, has the, is there an EIR for this or how, what's, what, what, what can the public do to get in there and put a wrench in this? Like, Alex, you want to answer that? Yeah. So there is an EIR, but we also found out, so I found out about the project expansion through the August agenda reports report for the COG meeting. And in the report is saying, hey, public comment for this project is now open. Uh, please submit your public comment. So that's when I raised alarm bells like, oh my gosh, we only have like six weeks. How has no, because I also like contacted my family like, hey, has anyone come to talk to you? Have you gotten a letter? Has the neighbors? My family's like, no, we haven't heard anything. Um, and we found out that at the very beginning of uh, September, after I had seen the August report at the very beginning of September, COG asked uh, Metro to delay the environmental impact report another year. And I believe the reason why they did that is because they didn't want it to be an election issue this year. Um, so I essentially forced it to become an election issue because this, this matters. Uh, who you elect to your local office, whether or not they're gonna protect your home and your community, really is dependent on where they stand on this project. Um, so right now, because public comment like isn't open, but it is open, we're encouraging everyone to contact Metro about the 6055 expansion and ask them to go with alternative one, the no project alternative. Uh, and I'm currently talking with organizers in Pico, uh, uh, Jairo, in Pico Rivera, who's a transit organizer and activist, and I'm reaching out to some people in Whittier, so that way together we can form basically our cog, but against the freeway expansion, because the environmental impacts that are going to be felt if this goes through is going to be for generations after. And people in the Southeast LA community already are forced to live in some of the most polluted environmental, uh, urban environmental uh, areas in the city. Uh, and that has been by design. 
and this is just going to make it even worse. Like the school in the park that Joe mentioned, I went to elementary school at Unsworth. Our freeway, the freeway is our, is the boundary for the playground. Uh, that's where the playground ends in one area. And then on Dennis the Menace, the park at the other side, that is also where the park ends. Uh, there, it, it, you share a sound wall with it. And so knowing like the environmental effects that that has probably had on my health is kind of terrifying. I try not to think about it, but I'm like, if this expansion goes through, it's going to be even worse in a predominantly Latino working class neighborhood. Um, and also to add insult to injury, the freeway expansion is only going to go, it looks like, for, according to the maps, it's only going to occur on the north side of the five freeway, which is uh, when you look at the, a couple, some people dug up like property values on Twitter, uh, predominantly working class homes, smaller lots, smaller property values, and predominantly more Latino side, as opposed to the wider side of Downey. Uh, which has wealthier homes uh, that almost hit a million dollars in some areas. Uh, so to add insult to injury, Metro is also taking out a lower income uh, working class households that for these families, this once they have their house, they're never going to let go of it. Because as you mentioned before, we are facing a climate crisis and a housing crisis. So for these families, their wealth is intrinsically tied into this community and they can't lose it because if they lose it, they can't just go buy another house. Like that's just, that's just not gonna happen. In August, Metro announced that EIR was coming out in September. The, the COG wigged out and said, we didn't expect all these houses to be ripped out and asked for it to be delayed, like Alex said. The, um, so Metro, without telling anyone, without announcing it publicly, they still haven't announced it publicly, <laughs> um, delayed the, the EIR until early, 2021. So the, the formal process, um, the formal environmental impact report public comment process will take place next year if, you know, Metro is to be believed. But I think pe people can weigh in by supporting Alexandria Contreras for Downey, frankly, that this is, this is the, the race that's before us and people should donate and volunteer and Alex, you should tell people how, how can how can we get you elected to this council? Tell um, us well, about your race. <laughs> oh, okay, thank you, Joe. Um, but yeah, so basically, I am up again facing up against the incumbent here in Downey. Uh, and the easiest ways that people can get involved is they can go to my website, alexfordowney.com, and they could sign up to volunteer helping because we're the last four weeks. So people are early voting. So the easiest way people can get involved and help is by signing up for one of the phone banks. We're calling people, making sure they have a plan to go vote, that they know who, who's running and know basically what the very stark difference is between me and my opponent. Like for example, I don't care about this freeway. I have zero expansion. The tear down of any homes or parks or a school is completely unacceptable from the get go. Uh, I believe in like protecting our environment and in our and in protecting homeowners and renters and mobile homeowners too here in the city we got to keep them in their homes uh there's some very drastic differences between me and my opponent uh and depending unfortunately depending on who sits on the city leadership it's going to depend like how seriously metro is going to take us um because we're going to need our local governments to support our efforts and as in as uh someone wants to follow up on how the fight is longer than the city council term 
depending on where we are in the stage, like right now we're in the public comment stage, but depending on how we can drag this out and potentially shut down this this freeway for good, this is going, I've been reaching out to some folks who are engaged in their own freeway battles in their own states. This is gonna be a decades long fight potentially. Um, the people like in Pasadena, South Pasadena, they had the support of their community leaders they were a wealthy, more affluent community that had the resources behind them. This is not necessarily the case here. Right now, we have uh, various uh, community leaders in the area, city council members, who are supportive of this project. This is a lower income neighborhood that doesn't necessarily have the resources that people need to fight back. So whatever, whatever community power that we have, we have to build up now and continue to build it and make sure like Metro we're calling you out on your state-sponsored violence towards our community. They acknowledged uh, in their uh, in a in a blog post that they historically they knew what they were doing. They purposely built freeways through the Black and Latino neighborhoods here in LA, purposely for a reason. We know they did this, and now they're basically repeating themselves. And it's like, hey, uh, are you really going to stand firm in your commitment that you said that Black Lives Matter? Um, and follow through with that or not. And it comes down to like, are you willing to continue to perpetuate and participate, actively participate in racism and segregation? It, yes or no. Like it comes down to like what Metro has to respond. And anyone who approves of this project and anyone who continues forth with it and supports it is participating in state sanctioned violence at the end of the day, because we're in a housing and climate crisis. And to do this to the com uh, community here, that's what it is. And that that for me that's what this fight is and either you are for the state-sponsored violence or you're against it there is no middle ground anymore do we know if you know it's like it the 710 the the anti-710 folks they brought a lawsuit is there like is there a group that 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 can be allied with that like can do some pro bono legal work on this Joe, do you know of any, like, I mean, do you guys know of any, like, like, uh, groups like this that could, that could work on this? And also, I was going to ask, does Metro have, like, we know that Caltrans has acknowledged that induced demand is a thing. Has Metro acknowledged that? Is there some kind of acknowledgement that they have that could be part of this lawsuit where you're saying, like, hey, you guys already have acknowledged that induced demand is a problem. Why are you moving forward with this policy? Well, uh, maybe Alex can weigh in more, but <laughs> the 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 start is Caltrans is also behind this project. This is a Metro Caltrans joint project. They both want to take out hundreds of homes in Downey. Caltrans is you know taking still taking out homes along the 710 freeway, the lower 710, even though the upper 710 is canceled. They're you know they just took out homes in Norwalk. They're you know they're widening the freeway in Burbank. I mean. This Metro and Caltrans never stopped, you know, spending billions of dollars to, you know, add exorbitant amounts of greenhouse gases to our, you know, warming environment and, and wrecking communities at the same time. Um, as far as legal stuff, there's one, um, I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, whatever, there, there may be, Alex may know of some groups, but the the one one thing that makes me a little bit hopeful is 
you know, Metro has a project called the High Desert Corridor um, that would have connected sort of Victorville area to Palmdale, Lancaster area. And a group called Climate Resolve, working with some others, uh, other folks, sued the project, won in court, and Caltrans said, okay, fuck it, we're not going to build that project anymore. So um, I think that the, I think that, that um, there, there may be groups out there poised to do this. It's not, it's probably, today is probably not the day to file the lawsuit is probably as the EIR gets released next year and the board starts to finalize the, what's called the locally preferred alternative. Um, but so I, I don't know of any groups, but it, it feels like um, there's a couple things that, that feel uh, totally inappropriate about this project. One is that, that, like Alex said, is it takes out a Latino area while leaving a whiter area relatively unscathed. Two is um, the, the current, as far as what Metro's announced for the alternatives, they're basically identical. It's, it's basically add four lanes to the freeway, um, add four lanes to the freeway, add four lanes to the freeway, and don't do anything. So th those are the four options there. Ah, uh, your connection's running it out feels again. To me, like that's an income. I mean, always once the highway transit and transit demand management and you know bike paths, but then we're going to build the highway. But uh, they're not even putting the fig leaf of of looking at any alternatives other than build build four lanes, rip out homes. Sorry, Alex. Do you you Alex, are you, do you, to that too. Have, have you done like, uh, are you doing a petition drive as well? Are you going and doing house to house petitions or? So uh, right now we are, I've partnered uh, with Abundant Housing LA and they're helping us send out uh, basically not, not petition yet. Right now we're gathering uh, letters, basically like letter tools. Hey, here's a tool that you can use to write your uh, to write your email and send it in, we're going to be start working on uh, working on petition gathering soon. We're kind of uh, we're kind of waiting to just get some more final information. Also, thank you, Joe, for doing such a wonderful job covering this and helping us with the research and helping like his art his, his coverage of this has been phenomenal. Uh, and he's really helping us the, like everyone on the ground, the organizers that I'm reaching out to, uh, keep on top of this so that way we know what to update people with. But basically, we're planning on, um, in a couple of weeks, hosting a large community meeting about the project with all the information that we have updated for people to know and start coalition building uh, with not like joining with pro housing groups like Abundant Housing LA, um, joining with groups in Whittier and Pico Rivera here in Downey, here in Norwalk. And essentially, like, each organization, we circulate the same petition to just get thousands and thousands and thousands of signatures. Um, so that way, when the environmental impact report comes out, we're, we're ready to go. Because uh, we're going to need a very strong coalition of local community leaders, different groups uh, to join in on this fight. Because I think we have a real good shot at shutting this down forever. And I want to make sure that we that we, we do that. because. Uh, it's, I'm just, I'm just, my mind is just blown that Metro is planning, still planning on doing this. 
Yeah, it's insane. There's got to be also some upcoming meetings that they have, right? Can we do public comment? Yeah, Can we, we do are... a public comment action. Yes, we're kind of just waiting on Metro at this point because right now what we can do is we can ask everyone to write in your comments to Metro, let let them know exactly how you feel about freeway expansions, about this particular freeway expansion, advocate for alternative one, the no uh, the no expansion option. Uh, okay. Metro now, but when it comes to like having an official pu public comment period at a meeting, we kind of just gotta wait for Metro. Um, and as Joe mentioned before, it's really frustrating because we don't exactly know what's happening. Uh, the plan that they released calls for over 500 properties seized, but when Joe looked at the maps, he's like, hey, there's maybe like 100 properties. Where are you getting all these extra properties around, like, around the freeway expansion from? So it's like, we don't really know what's being impacted. Um, like I live, my house is like two blocks away from the five freeway. So it's like, is it gonna stretch out that? I, when I first heard the news and when I heard what was being described, I was like, oh my God, it is gonna be as big as the 405, our house is gone. Is, um, is or they're right? just gonna move it, they're gonna move the freeway, you know, closer to your house and put more pollution there. It doesn't even matter if, you know, like they're, they're it's, it's Do you have, is there like a freedom of information, anything that gives you the right to know what's going on? I can, can I answer that? <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, when I got the numbers and uh, looked at the Metro's presentation from August, you know, Metro has a chart that says, we're going to, we're, we're going to have right of way impacts, quote unquote, you know, which is the coldest, most bureaucratic way of saying we're going to rip out houses. Um, we're going to have right-of-way impacts totaling over 1,200 parcels. And this is a project that goes like a dozen miles up and down the 605 and three miles, a little over three miles through Downey on the, on the, on the five. Um, so it's, it's hard to, and, and that, and that 1,200 total includes full acquisitions, partial acquisitions, and like easements. Um, so there's there's a big mix of takings, but if you look at it, the big totals on that sheet are, you know, 250 plus acquisitions in Downey. So I said to Metro, okay, your chart says 250 parcels in Downey, your chart says 1200 right of way impacts. Where are these? Give me a map or give me a list. And Metro, responded to me like oh those are still in development we we can't tell you uh we're gonna um we're gonna release that list when we release the eir next year so i filed a california public records request with metro earlier this week uh, asking for the same information i i asked the metro communications people and they said no so um, if there are public records that they're that they're that they'll part with, you know, it takes a month or whatever, and they fuck around and tell you like, oh, what's the keyword and <laughs> stuff like that. So there's a bunch of uh, of uh, cat and mouse kind of still to play on that. But yeah, I I made I filed a public records request for the asking Metro what to give me a list and or a map of what what their chart, the numbers they reported and they announced in August correspond to. 
Is there a general public comment period? Like, you know, the first thought that comes to my head is like, when's the next Metro meeting? And then is there a general public comment where we can just zoom bomb them with noise about this? Is that helpful at this point to well, I think let them know that things are starting to build up? There, a week from Thursday, there is a there is a Metro meeting and there will be general public comment. There will also be a statement by Phil Washington who wrote this really scolding letter uh, it sounds like a traffic engineer talking to a mom um, and about, you know, like, uh, you know, we already talked about this and we decided this three decades ago. So I think, I think if there are public folks that, um, you know, I'll be covering that meeting as a reporter, but if there are folks who are looking for a place to weigh in the Thursday, October 22nd uh, Metro board meeting, might might make sense okay are you okay with that alex is that helpful yes. for you yes absolutely if you're listening to this please make time to go to the october 22nd meeting talk about the 6055 freeway expansion and how metro should shut this down because it's the right thing to do is it is it on zoom because i really love this this whole thing where you can just zoom and get on you don't have to drive down there or ride down there and spend your whole day like traveling to it, metro you can just you know, get on zoom right? it and metro meetings are like glitchier than zoom zoom <laughs> so but um yeah it's it's on a kind of a zoom like platform where they uh, uh I, they just changed it last month and you, it used to be you had to submit it in writing and then they would read it at the meeting out loud and now they just upgraded it so you can I believe it's not it's not Zoom that you can be seen, but it's um, verbal public comment um, at, at the Metro board. Meeting. Okay, awesome. Um, Alex, I'm assuming you're on Facebook. Is there a Facebook event where we can publicize this meeting and start with public comment and start ratcheting up the noise? So me and the other organizers, actually, that's why we're having a meeting very soon. Maybe start with... We might, I might just put it as a campaign event first because me and the other organizers are meeting to basically like, hey, we're, we're getting our ducks in a row. Like we're gonna set up an email for this. We're gonna set up a Facebook page. Uh, we're gonna make sure that communication streamlined. We're probably gonna select Slack channel. Um, just make sure that communication streamlined. But for this upcoming meeting, I'll probably be, I'll probably post it on my campaign, uh, campaign information so that way people know and people can use that uh, for, 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 for now. But yeah, I think the issue is, is like also all of us who are involved in this fight locally, we all we all work full time still. And all of us are just like trying to keep get basically trying to get together um, to make sure that we, we get things ready uh, and that people have an opportunity like in the community to get information because people don't know how to navigate the process. People don't know how to do public comments. So we want to make sure that people have like a step to step laid out. We're making sure that we're getting all the information ready for people to go. And also if you're listening to this and you wanna become one of those organizers, uh, please reach out to me. Uh, we already have a small team in the ground that's getting ready to go. Um, and if you are interested in like dedicating a few hours a week and helping us just keep this running smoothly, uh, please reach out and let me know. Uh, be happy okay. What's your give campaign? It, give us your content, yeah, Facebook, give us contact. Alex. Uh, so right now, uh, the campaign page is Alex Alexandria for Downey. 
uh, and Gmail, if you want to send in questions about the uh, freeway expansion, it's Alex for Downey at gmail.com. Uh, Alex number four Downey or F O R? The word. Everything, socials, Gmail, and website is all Alex for Downey, the word. A L E X F O R Downey. Okay, great, great. All right. Um, Alex, thank you. Uh, Thanks for this, for taking on this fight and good luck in your campaign. Um, we're going to follow this as much as we can and, and uh, you know, promote your, your actions as much as we can. So feel free to just contact us when you have more to share. We'll have you on at any time. This is a very important issue. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the support. Okay. Um, Alex, um, if you'd like to stay on, we're going to have, uh, Josh, uh, Paget on next, uh, we're discussing his, uh, 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 film, uh, film festival? series, film festival, I'm sorry. Um, and Joe, thank you for coming on and thanks for all your work, man. You, you rock, you and Streets Blog. Everyone. If you're listening to this and you care about this, you should you should go to Alex's website and you should give Alex money. She needs money to win this race. She needs yes. your time. She needs your you know shares via social media. But really, if you've got twenty five or fifty bucks to to kick in, if you're not totally tapped out, you go to go to Alex Contreras website. Running for Downey. She can say the website again. I can't say it. Alex4downey.com, right? You should, take, you should give her some money because that's how that's how bicyclists and uh, you know people who breathe are going to get the power to fight these freeway projects is to elect principled, um, you know, awesome people like Alex. So do it. Give her money. Give her your money now. One, one more time with the website, Alex4downey or Alex4downey.com. Yes, alexfordowney.com. Okay. All right. Hell, I'm going to okay. get done. Bye-bye. You'd, you'd be a good teacher, Don. You'd repeat things so people you, understand. You've got you to repeat it so they understand it because yeah. I'm even trying to understand it. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Let's bring on our next guest. Nick, why don't you uh, introduce okay. the next so guest? So we're going to talk with Josh Paget. I Are we saying your last name? I'm having... Uh, Okay, so Josh did the uh, New Urbanism Film Festival for years. How long, Josh? Five years. And then it became the Better Cities Film Festival. It was going to be in Detroit. Where was it going to be in Detroit? At Cinema Detroit. It was a locally owned independent cinema in the heart of downtown. Of course, you had to go online, but some of the proceeds are going to still go there to support the theater. Yeah, we're still trying to, I mean, we're dedicated to moving to Detroit, and so we wanted to support them. It's been hard on everybody, especially the arts, so we're, some of the ticket proceeds will still go to support Cinema Detroit. Well, you gave Bike Talk listeners this great opportunity uh, to get 20% off all the festival passes. Here's the, the code. It's Bike Talk 2020, capital B, capital T. 20% off the whole festival, but it's only until the 11th, right? That's right. You buy a ticket by the 11th and then uh, you'll have seven days to finish watching it. Oh, okay, good. And so we have a few people on to, uh, to we, we saw bicycling in cities. 
we have uh, Norman Marvin or Marvin Norman. Sorry, I get them mixed up. We have Lynn Ingram. We have Jennifer Gill, but we also have one of your uh, movie makers, Ryan Henry, who did a movie that's in a different category that we didn't see, but maybe we could do another episode with Ryan. Ryan, you, you have a movie called Spokespeople. That's right. We have a, a short documentary and I, I think it's part of the better transport uh, block of uh, short docs. Okay. Can you want to tell us a synopsis? Sure, I'd be happy to. It's, um, it's about different members of the bike community in Los Angeles who are fighting to make Los Angeles a safer place to ride a bike. And it looks at it through um, community nonprofit groups like the uh, Bicycle Kitchen. And it also looks at it through the lens of um, Ciclovia, um, modeled off of uh, obviously the Ciclovia of Bogota. And uh, it also looks at uh, the pitfalls and the dangers of, of hit and runs in Los Angeles and, and, and you know, the dangers of, of riding bikes uh, in this city. Well, it sounds perfect for us. So I can see why Josh connected you here. Is your, is your last name Henry? That's what came up on Zoom, but not your email. Uh, no, uh, Ryan Henry McKinnian. And uh, there's some setting on my Zoom where it, it, it's a locked, it's locked and I can't change the name to the oh, no. So somehow no. it's Ryan Henry, but but some folks call me Ryan Henry too, so, so no problem. Okay. Um, well, we can have you on next week or another time. I would love that. Thank you so much. And you can hang out for this discussion. I don't know if you've seen Bicycling in Cities. I saw it, they're, they're great. Okay. I thought so too. So do, let's uh, go, just go, there's eight movies. The last one I couldn't see, unfortunately, because of a glitch, but it was White Bicycle. Hopefully that's that's gonna be up. Instead, we got, uh, what the hell is, what the hell is um, Bluetooth? Bluetooth Sniffer. Sniffer. But yeah. um, to start at the beginning, Who's there? Who's there who uh, wants to take us through some of these? The The first one was about a group in Marrakesh. And the short is called Cycling Towards a Better Future. I really enjoyed uh, this movie. I was in Africa. So, you know, and it came up as the first one. I never went to Morocco. I went to Algeria. So I have a sense of, you know, way back in the day when when, you know, how women were treated in Africa. And I noticed in this film that, you know, they, um, th they had scarves on, but they were riding bikes and they're, they're um, taking people out on tours and the, the filming, the filming itself, the whole structure, the, the whole documentary was beautifully filmed. I mean, the, the colors were almost like desert colors, you know, mm -hmm. desert and sand and it was gorgeous. Anyway, um, just, and, and a Dutch company apparently, um, you know, was supporting them. And if that's a that's a great, um, you know, way for, uh, you know, for people to learn a lot of different uh, techniques for touring or for mechanical uh, repair or, you know, whatever they they choose. I mean, they, they have a lot of people supporting the women in Morocco. Um, in Marrakesh, um, 
you know, to, to become much more independent. It's, it's more political almost than bicycling, but it's, it's awesome. It's a great little short. And I think it was about, it was three minutes, three and a half minutes, beautiful film. And, the, and uh, there was one that I really enjoyed. Um, uh, Jennifer, I was gonna yeah. just go down, I'm like okay. in order just for, okay. for like some structure, but uh, I thought one of the cool things about it was they talked about how the, there's this stigma about biking and they're trying to change that, which Oh we yeah, find, we find here too. You know, we find everywhere. I guess that you know people who who you know can't afford cars don't you know, don't think of bikes as being uh, all that. So they're working oh. about that, and they and yeah, they train. Yeah, they're training young people to, uh, I guess, work on bikes. And tour, you know, take people on tours and it, it they definitely want to get rid of the stigma for women and for the, you know, the level that, um, you know, people look at a bike as being means you're poor. And so, you know, you have no status. So, yeah, that definitely was part of that documentary. Yeah, All right. and anyway, then, uh, I would like to just add a little, this is Yolanda, how's everybody? Um, yeah, I, I thought this was, I didn't get to see all the films, but um, of the four or five that I was able to see, um, this was probably my favorite. And one of my favorites, uh, the cinema photography was beautiful. And um, also, yeah, it is inter uh, interesting in terms of crossing the, the borders just from a standpoint of the narrative, because it's very similar to you know, the narrative, for instance, here in LA that, um, you know, because um, a lot of our uh, folks that are not able to buy cars and in particular uh, people of color are brown and black people that are on bikes that they're kind of looked down on and that the uh, infrastructure isn't improved upon so they can ride bikes. So I really related to the story that she was telling. And it was also very empowering from a standpoint of it felt like they were thinking outside of the box in this film. And it really pushed, you know, that narrative of how it can benefit that community and that society by offering more services. And for instance, in the uh, mutual aid um, and delivery, and also in terms of the various types of education from bike repair um, and just the social engagement kind of areas that they can build upon. So I thought it was a great film. And Josh, if you have any, you know, pop-ups at any point about any of the, the videos that we're talking about, you could just go boop and then say the pop-up. I would like to add, uh, I loved Chantal <laughs> in her video about Marrakesh, the cycling uh, towards a brighter future. And what I loved so much about it was that she was taking out girls. And it is true that sometimes girls are just relegated to home duties. And I, you know, I'm not going to comment about anybody's political views or social views, but obviously she doesn't think that. And taking girls out to let them try something they've never done before is incredibly empowering. It can change your whole life. In addition, with a bicycle, as we all know, you can go farther. You have a lot more independence. You can go see a fountain that you hadn't seen before or a beautiful building or go to the library and bring books back with you that you couldn't carry before. So it makes all the difference in the world. I absolutely loved that 
video. And I'm so happy that she took the time to film what she was doing so the rest of us can donate. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. That was Lynn Ingram. Yeah. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Right? Yes, that was me. Sorry about the audio. I don't have my headset on. So it's, uh, I sound like I'm far away. Sorry about that. On time, no see, Lynn. Okay, <laughs> I see you on Facebook. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. I see you too. <laughs> I'm, having a, I'm having a Chardonnay because it's a film festival. So I <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, hey, Marvin. Yeah. Do you see that first one? Yeah, I did. I, actually, I feel like I've seen it before, even before um, this, this uh, film festival. But yeah, I liked it. One thing that, that came to mind, and especially now that we were talking about it right now, um, they, I thought of the, if you guys are familiar with um, the Mama Agatha story from Amsterdam, of the lady who teaches immigrant women to, to ride there in Amsterdam, which is, which is intriguing from the standpoint that there are a lot of Moroccan immigrants in the Netherlands as well. So, but it's, it's good to see the, the, um, the participation and the, the sharing of knowledge and the sharing of, of the freedom of biking. And like we were saying, it you know really opens up your opportunities. I mean, I personally haven't been to, to Morocco or anywhere in Africa actually, but I, I know I've seen a couple of things like this of, of Morocco and also of of similar of um, the the Sahara region or I guess Mediterranean coast countries like there in Egypt and stuff. And it, it, it's good to see that there's some some work in this this uh, side of it. I, I know I've seen another film. Maybe it's the other film I'm thinking of that uh, about a, a group of, I think it was a bicycling film actually from the company Bicycling Magazine. They were talking about a vacation they took there where they went and climbed and you go and you climb like the tallest mountain in Morocco or something. But it, it reminded me of that. And I thought it was a good one, yeah. Just nice and short, but it, it got a, a good message across and you find out what they're doing. So I think we're hearing a lot about uh, freedom, access, these things that are really associated with the bicycle. And then, uh, thanks everyone. That was that was great feedback. What do you think, Josh? Pretty good feedback. Yeah, Josh. that was great. Yeah, thanks. Um, next one, High Wheel. That was about. Uh, I should read the. A group of penny farthing enthusiasts bring delight and old school charm to the streets of London. That was great to watch, you know, those guys dressed up in, I don't know what kind of suits they were, but, or what kind of style that was. Reminded me of the Tweed ride, but it wasn't Tweed. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I really loved the, uh, the way everything was in their gray tones. You know, they kept it looking kind of old, very, you know, past century. And they used the, I didn't realize they used that bike for polo you know, and uh, they were, there was one crazy guy, he was a helicopter pilot, my father was a pilot, so I guess I kind of vibed with him, but he made some crazy remarks about uh, riding the penny farthing was more dangerous than sex, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it, it, was, well, it was like such a contrast to the first film, you know, Marrakesh film, where, you know, people were really sensitive to the, the young women and then he's making this you know and it was kind of a masculine uh film but i really i did enjoy it i enjoyed the history of it 
Did you think of juxtaposing the masculine to the feminine there, Josh? I had not occurred to me, dude. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it's a good point. I mean, that's, uh, that's a great, that's a great point about programming. Um, they're both three minutes and they're both, um, they're both kind of a more cinematic feel than sometimes we get with bike films. Um, and the color, the color, you're very astute to point out the color of the, the cinematographers and directors of photography are choosing with both films, kind of the desert and then the gray. Um, so those, those are both, yeah. But that guy did strike me as strange and he didn't, he didn't remind me of my father, so it wasn't as endearing. I'm glad that you found it endearing. An endearing crassness is what we strive for, if any crassness at all. Uh, Jennifer is a photographer, so that's why she talks about, or maybe that's not why, but yeah, it's fitting that you talk about the, the colors like that. Anyone else about uh, the, the Penny Farthing movie? I did love it. I loved it because they were preserving the bikes and those clothes looked like those were authentic reproductions, maybe even some found items, but they looked like real authentic reproductions of clothing of the time. So that was really interesting. Um, and I just a side note, I'm involved with bicycle racing. And one of our big races in Southern California that I work with is the Manhattan Beach Grand Prix. Literally every year, a group of guys asks me if they can do a couple of laps on their penny farthings. Every year, and I keep saying, no, we can't sanction that bike on a race. We have to find some insurance for you. And I don't think USA Cycling is gonna give it to us. But uh, there is a group, apparently, uh, a, maybe a worldwide group of people that are preserving those bikes, which is wonderful. I understand you have to have all core to ride those things. <laughs> all core. <laughs> Anybody ever come across penny farthing riders? I did once, and it was it's like seeing an elephant. <laughs> yes, I know. I know a penny farthing rider. Uh, my friend's uh, brother-in-law rides penny farthings on the midnight riders' rides. Wow. They're cool. Yes, I've seen them in the LA streets. Absolutely. I want to get a penny farthing. I haven't seen that money yet. But there, I know there's a company. I think it's in Oakland that makes them. You want? You got to get that penny farthing money. Yeah, they're like two grand. I mean, they're they're different bikes. You know, bikes are more expensive. You can group sets are more expensive than that, and you want them to be so. They're not that expensive actually. In the bike, but they world. have like they have like sports penny farthings. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get. No, I'm not going too crazy. I'm, but I'm sure, like any bike, you can spend as much money on it as you want. But it seems like, in the grand scheme of biking, they're not in the biking world. They're not massively expensive compared to other bikes you can get. It's kind of an ironic title, penny farthing, because it's no money at all in England. <laughs> a penny and a farthing. It's not oh. even a dollar, you know? That's very interesting. <laughs> they See, it. Is that why oh, they called it that? Because they were trying to sell it as being a cheap? I don't no. know. No, their names because the, the penny and the farthing are two different size coins. Oh. Yeah, I don't remember which uh, one uh, Yeah. That's why uh, you're on, Martin. Uh, that's why you're on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, we got to move along. The next one is uh, There and Then, a love story to the track bike and a community that has formed around it. This reminded me of Wolfpack Hustle. Yeah. 
me too when i watched it i thought of what you were saying the other last week don you were talking about that hydro what were you hyper hyper what hyper miling miling yeah that i thought about you when i was watching that film well i don't know what because hyper miling you do in a car right well no but he was taught the the guy was talking about how there are no brakes and you can't you have to be told i mean i can't even imagine riding it myself so no brakes and you, you know you have to be flowing the whole time and i forgot he just he was it was into some sort of a flow to get through the town and he was speeding through the town you know um he was figuring out how to ride without braking and i thought that's what don was kind of alluding yeah to. you 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 anticipate especially when you're riding fixed gear you have to really learn to anticipate what's happening you have to see the scene unfold in front of you and and uh plan ahead and that goes with hypermiling as well so yeah and he was talking yeah he was talking about the lights how they figured out the lights and then they have a big crew big group of people that they meet with and it's quite it was really yeah uh, i thought it was a great film yeah, yeah it was um it almost felt like a short memoir you know, um, which really um, kind of the, the narrative was very clear where this experience was coming from. Whereas I didn't feel that as much from the high uh, will. I felt like I wanted to hear more narratives. Um, I love the idea of, of connecting with history, but I wanted to know more and I wanted to maybe hear the narratives of the other bike riders. And this film um, there and then it was very clear who was telling the story and it was based on his personal experience and it actually brought back memories uh, for me of, of riding with a bike group Lynn um, with City of Bicycles just from the standpoint of the group riding and that camaraderie you know and, and the feeling yeah. of, um, of kind of that togetherness moving in motion but I actually learned something too you know there was kind of like this educational um, segments kind of going in and out as they were doing the still shots, if you will, or slow shots of the bike parts that he was naming. So it was almost as if this, it was about his relationship, really, you know, with this bike and, and how much he loves the, this bike and the experience, like a love story, actually. Um, and so I, I, I really liked it. I think even the sound, you know, um, that was connected with the film for all bike riders could really connect you to your own personal experience of riding. Um, so definitely thumbs up um, on this um, on many respects from education um, to the experience of riding in nature to moving around in our urban cities and also really kind of what to look for when you're, if you get a track bike and kind of the beginning, you know, tips or guides to how you have to think about um, your relationship with riding on a bike like that, as opposed to one with brakes. Um, did anybody, sorry, did you vote? Cause I noticed after I had watched them all that you, there was a voting. Oh no, I didn't see that. Give I didn't a, did I you didn't give A that. through, was it A through F? Yeah. Uh-oh. Right? Well, you know, I would like to add to the there and then the camera on board the bike was fantastic because yes. it was the ride. 
It was you getting your eyes right there on the street. You felt the ride, you felt the traffic and it flowed beautifully. It was so exciting. I wanted to jump on my bike. And um, what I liked so much about what this guy was talking about was the relationship, the love relationship. And it is true. If your whole day is rotten, the bike ride can just smooth all of that out. And a lot of people need to identify with that right now. Um, I'm sure a lot of us have been riding more lately than we have in a long time because we don't punch a clock the way we were uh, even you know a year ago. So the, the world is out on their bikes and if they are not on their bikes, this video, this movie short will get them on a bike for sure. I absolutely loved it. And I'm glad he called those bikes track bikes and not fixies because that is truly what they are. They're track bikes. <laughs> Regulation bikes that you buy that are suitable for riding on the racetrack. And I used to ride the velodrome all the time. It's a whole different world. You're on fast forward. You have to anticipate what's going on in front and behind you. So it's, and the shots were beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. I loved it. I think that was my favorite. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. Marvin, did you see that? Yeah, I took a look at that one too. I, um, I mean, I used to ride a not a track bike, but just a fixie for a while. So, but I didn't have. I I, I do have brakes on my bike, but I don't. I, I know I've seen some guys riding bikes without brakes on them, and I, I can't do it. I think one thing. I think you have to have the one hand brake on it in in Los Angeles or in California. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's <laughs> I Legally think that, in the state of California, you're supposed to your bike has to have a brake that will bring it to a skid with the from 12 miles per hour on flat ground. So, oh. so there it's it really you legally have to have a brake, is what? Yes. You know, you was, yeah. Wasn't there no. an argument from years ago? You guys probably remember better than me about someone who had a stick that they carried a stick with them and they. When the officer asked them where their brake was, they put the stick in their bike to break it. Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard of that one. Urban legend. Urban legend. All right. Um, well, one thing I just wanted to bring up was that one of the things he talked about, uh, in addition to, well, he did say that the track people would tell him, like, what are you doing with, with no brakes? You need a brake. And that was actually you know he enjoyed being able to just do things that that people said he couldn't do but also he talked about when he would go on these rides he would have this nervousness and he said it wasn't a uh, an excitement it was like a fear but that it went away when he started the ride but then you could see why he might have that nervousness is because it's one of those rides where you drop you can get dropped right and uh mm -hmm. that always seemed to me i know they do that at wolfpack hustle don Don's ride. It always seemed kind of ruthless to me. Well, but I get mini race. <laughs> Every group ride is a little bit of a race. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's what it is, unless someone tells you it's a no drop ride. <laughs> right, right. That's true. Yeah. Uh, next one, if, if nobody has anything else on that, is uh, this really stood out to me. It's uh, called The Age of Automobility. And the description is the fight for safe biking infrastructure is turned into a classic 80s video game. And so it really had the look and feel of a, of a video game, like one of the clunky early video games. And it was a, a bicyclist on a 
it looked like a, well, I guess it was just a road, but it almost looked like a freeway. And there is this evil car company called Edison. And there are these three henchmen from Edison and they each have a car. And then at the beginning it says, um, you choose your level or it chooses the level. And it, it, the levels were local change, doable or system change, impossible. And it chose system change so you know you're doing the the hardest level, and then uh, the they have these powers that they activate, like the 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 bad guy uses privatized power, and he gets these coins that drop into him, and then he uh, reduces the quality of the road so that it makes it harder to bike, and then but then the the cyclist uses tactical graffiti power to make a bike lane. I could go on and on because I, I took notes on this one, but. Anybody else? I think I need to watch it a couple more times. <laughs> um, but I definitely got that it um, was dealing with infrastructure um, and, you know, the motorists that don't like bicyclists and kind of this, in obviously, in this game format. So it's just kind of a fun way of this combating that's going back and forth from the gravel roads, which I can think, well, okay, well, that's in the disenfranchised part of town, uh, but that just so happened to be dropped in um, on this game. And, um, but then the big crack and the, or the was, you know, like ship or however that, you know, divided into two, that one kind of lost because I was like, I thought maybe he, the bicycle is going to kind of do an evil Knievel and jump over this gap, but he, the bicycle is actually hopped onto the ship. So it's like, well, where is he going? Is he going after the motorists? Is he going to get revenge? So, you know, it kind of left me wondering what is next and the to be continued. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to watch that again. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It was, that was confusing that part, but I did, I liked what they were talking about, um, you know, privatization. It seems like a big word right now in politics and you know, diverting money from the local economy. And I was thinking, huh, I hadn't thought of privatization as diverting money from the local economy. It was a big, for me, that was a big uh, wake up, uh, you know, uh, comment in that film. And there were a lot, I thought, you know, the idea of the tactic, like um, Nick said, the tactical graffiti, because we, we're doing that. You know, we keep doing stuff like that. So um, it's really nice to punch out these kind of ideas in a game. You know what I mean? And I don't know what they were doing at the end either. That was interesting. But it, they used the word husk. And I'm thinking, huh, are they talking about musk? You know what I mean? Because there was something to do, you know, musk. There was the X space rocket. And I'm thinking, well, are they attacking musk here? And he, is he not helping us with the you know, um, local economy or, you know, I, I was, that was, that's a really interesting section that maybe should be developed more. I don't know, but it uh, makes you think about, yeah, who, who's running it? Who's running our economy? Who's running, you know, where's our, where are our taxes going? And here we are, little bicyclists making graffiti, uh, you know, tactical graffiti lines on the street. I don't know. It was, it was interesting. It was very, it makes you think. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Musk, and he jumps on the what? What was it called? The, the rocket ship, the space. X space. X space. X space. Yeah. He jumps on the rocket ship, 
because the bad guy thinks he's going to get away. Yeah. And he says, wait a second, you have to fix the mess you made on Earth. Okay, so he was going to bring him back. Okay, I didn't hear that. Well, we don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. But uh, next was Boober. Amazing oh. movie. I, I don't know. Yolanda, can we go over or do, is Ade here? Well, until you say, until he shows up, uh, the next one was Boober. And uh, the the it says, uh, the synopsis is Kevin Spangler went from being homeless. I'm sorry, to, Nick, you, yeah. you missed, you missed bike to Dodger Stadium. Oh. That's before Boober. Thank you. You're bike welcome. to Dodger Stadium. Dodger traffic sucks. Why not go to a bike instead and skip past all the cars? And you know who was the star of this? short yeah go go gamboa uh he well he made it, it was yeah but it wasn't danny gamboa it was matt gamboa oh. i don't know if there's any relation but it was sickla valley it was zachary rhino it was, it was yeah the cyclist yeah anybody want to talk about it yeah that's a that that's very true what he did he he, he beat the metro bus <laughs> I thought that was funny and you know, obviously beat the traffic and I think it's a great promo for Los Angeles and the Dodgers they should you know really uh turn it into a more sophisticated film but maybe not I don't know it's really great to see Zach doing that or Dan and both of them Danny and Zach um Matt Matt I'm sorry Matt um Matt Gamboa we I thought of Danny Gamboa too but and Danny Gamboa makes movies I was just going to say, that's how I go to the Dodger game. I always get stared at, but that's how I always go to the games. I roll up the hill. I pass all the cars and the walking people, roll right up to the front. The bike racks are literally at the gate. It's the best deal out there. Yeah. 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 I would think, I mean, basically what really stood out to me, like uh, Jennifer was saying, yeah, that would be an interesting, you know, a little bit more professionally done film in terms of, um, you know, tapping into what do you want us to see uh, as the benefits of this film? And definitely the key thing that I saw in this uh, roll around is um, the traffic in LA. And it just made me think about uh, before our COVID-19 um, days, because this was our regular traffic every day. So, you know, the I just kind of had a sigh of relief that we don't have that type of traffic right now. And I, I related it to not only the Dodger Stadium, but LA in general. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good, well, we'll see what happens in, you know, in the future with- uh, Yeah, exactly, at least for now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it shows the, how, what we can do, you know, to avoid the traffic up there, but how many people we do it. I know I didn't ride up there. I took the Metro bus. And it was pretty convenient too. I I wrote, I got on at Union Station and they dropped me right, boom, on the top level. And I, when I left, the same thing happened. I just got off the top level and went back down to Union Station. It was so simple. And I like how at the end you could you get the point of view going through these cars crossing, so that you know <laughs> just you get the sense of the log jam in the parking lot afterwards, and you're like, oh, that's why you really have to ride a bike too. The Dodger game, right? Um, next movie, if we yeah. can move on. Well, we're looking forward to that. Um, what you call it? That people mover, right? Uh, Where at Dodger? 
Metro's doing Gondola. the report on it right now. Oh my god. Ooh. Gondola or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. Right. There's a gondola. That's, that's kind of why I chose this film because <laughs> I feel like um, there's a lot of talk about the gondola and that, that was featured in a couple of other films that were submitted to the festival this year. Um, People Mover uh, Gondola and I think the bike to Dodger Stadium, what it's really trying to show is possibility, you know. So it's a bike film that's for maybe not for the bike activists, but for other people who might be seeing it and saying, I'm stuck in traffic, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a great, great, uh, was great. Yep. Well, Ade's on. Hey, Ade. Awesome. Can we, can we, can we just Hi. mention the next movie though? Because it was yeah. so cool. Yeah. Um, it was uh, Boober, where a homeless, this guy, he was homeless, he was in prison, over and over, started a pedicab business that hires, uh, that gives people in recovery jobs. And it was in Michigan, and it just made it look like a lot of fun while he was, he's like a social entrepreneur, I guess. He saved his own life with a, by starting a pedicab business. You know, he was living in a homeless shelter until he saved up enough money to buy his first pedicab. And then as soon as it arrived, he was able to get out of the shelter and get other people jobs. And they would tell their stories and it was intercut oh, cool. with, with the, the passengers who were, you know, all interesting in their own way. Yeah, what an inspiring story that was, right? I, I loved the concept of it. It had a lot of heart. It was just so great to see these folks who had a second chance at life. It was a great film. Yeah, I, I, I liked their honesty, how they were able to talk about what they'd had, what they'd gone through. And then they had a mentor and a friend who really understood them. That was a beautiful part of that film. I agree. And, the la and then the last one that we were talking about was The Bicycle Maker. What country was that, uh, Josh? Do you happen to know? It was India. India. Uh, it, it was the southeastern coast of India. Um, I looked uh, it up on the map. I haven't seen those. Yeah, I have to look at those after our show. Yeah, yeah and that was a beauty too. And that he was he had to fight a lot of adversity as well. So that was the, you know these films really they were excellent. I don't I don't know which one's the best one, but mm. it depends on what you want to use as a standard because there's cinematography and then there's message. You know? Right, right. They were really all excellent. There's, there's one more film. I apologize. There's a glitch, but you can still watch it for the next seven days. Oh, great. Um, it's called White Bicycle. It's about Mexico City and uh, the ghost bikes, which we're oh. tragically all too familiar with. Yes. And um, Ryan's film also spoke a little bit about the ghost bikes in Los Angeles, but this one's called Bicicleta Blanca. Uh, about the culture of ghost bikes in Mexico City and, and how the community there responds. Um, so I highly recommend it to you and you've already watched it. So it's free and waiting for you for seven days. Nice. Thank you, Josh, for this opportunity. Uh, any listeners, you can get this until October 11th on uh, the website, Better Cities Film Festival and go to Bicycling in Cities and type in Bike Talk, capital B, capital T, 2020. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Thanks for watching. Thank you, Josh. Yeah. Thank you.
And Ade, I've shared that with you and uh, the guests that have been on Black Lives Rolling um, to for you guys to take a look at it. So if you have, if you want to check it out, any problems, let me know. Okay. Free, thanks to uh, Nick and Don and Josh. And, and, and thanks to Lynn and and Marvin and Jennifer and Ryan. Thank you. Okay. Cool. Thank you guys. Nice. Okay, so uh, Nick, do you guys want to kind of wrap that section off before we move into our next session, or how do you want to do that? This is a new way here since we're not live. Yeah. Uh, well, we are streaming audio. Okay. Okay. Uh, and yeah, we're we're good. We had Alexandria Contreras, and we had uh, the Better Cities Film Festival. Alexandria is running for uh, CD1 of Downey against a pro-freeway mayor. And her one of her big issues is um, not to stop the widening of the 605 with the destruction of all the, all the homes around it. So we had a really uh, an eventful hour. Thank you for letting us go long, Yolanda. Oh, no problem. Yeah, those were great films. I'm going to finish watching once we... Uh get through our segment here. So uh, thank you again for another series of We the People, Black Lives Rolling. And um, our guest this evening is Ade, um, also known as Eric Neff. Uh, am, I, am I saying that right? Because I never say your yeah. name actually, Eric right. Neff, you know, it's just yeah. Ade. Um, yeah. And uh, so thank you for coming actually under short notice as well. Thank you for having me. Definitely, definitely. So I think folks that have been listening uh, pretty much know that I'm really inviting a lot of the bicyclists that I have engaged with over these past 10 years now uh, that are still rolling strong, that have gone from grassroots uh, bicyclists and just recreational bicyclists to bike shop owners, um, to advocates, um, to uh, other types of policy positions and all on a bike. Uh, so really the purpose of this series is really to tap into and hear the narratives of Black lives in this time in terms of um, kind of where the bike has taken you and kind of how you even came in, you know, to this conversation and activity of riding a bike. So I, I like to start off by, you know, I know you've told me your stories in terms of just being born and, and, and raised in Boston and, and making your way here to LA. And I wanted you to just share, you know, with others kind of where you came from and, and, and then kind of how you came into LA. Yeah, all right. So um, I, day, I was born and raised in Haiti, um, left Haiti when I was 10 years old. I, I still remember riding bikes in Haiti, right? Wow. Um, and um, I came to the States and lived in Boston. So I grew up in Boston. I went to high school in Boston. Um, and I never had a, a, a car actually in Boston. My older sister had a car when she was of age and my father had a car. So we had two cars in the house by the time I was able to drive. But um, most of my life though, I, I rode a bike all around Boston and I took public transportation. And when I needed a car, I bought my, either my sister's car or my father's car, but I never owned a car until I moved to LA. And I moved to LA in the late 80s, so like uh, 87, 88, I, I moved to LA. 
Okay. And uh, I actually came out here for a visit on a two-week vacation. It was wintertime in Boston. Oh, okay. And I'm on the beach playing volleyball in the winter. <laughs> And that was exactly. enough for me. I was like, well, I, th there's no need for me to go back to Boston. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Like, there's got to be some changes here. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, man, shoveling snow and all the stuff that you have to do in the wintertime in Boston just to actually leave your house is insane. I felt kind of bad about leaving my father to, to all that, but I, I just needed to get out for my own sanity. Um, exactly. But I think it, it was just my... Um, my path and my destiny, I guess, to, to, to be out here. And I've been here since. I go back often um, to visit and be with my family, but um, LA is, is, is this place that I'm, like, that I'm stuck at, at least right. at the moment right now, right? And right. Um, so, I, and I remember riding a bike. I used to live across the street from Paramount Studios. Um, is it Paramount and off of, uh, is that Melrose or Gower? Yes. Or is it exactly? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Like just in that area. And I, I hung out in Venice Beach all the time. So I would literally ride a bike from Melrose all the way to Santa Monica and, and Venice wow. Beach. That's and I would a serious do that seven, commute. That was like several times a week. But it was just like you couldn't take your bus on, the, you, you couldn't take the bus and put your bike on back then right so either right. you were um riding it or you were just busing it right it wasn't right right uh, the two options and so and i and i did that for a while and then you know of course you get into the point where like you're in la people are like you don't have a car you need to have a car because that's the narrative right if you're in la exactly. you need to have a car especially right? in it's the 80s in the 80s you know 80s and yeah. 90s yeah in 80s and 90s <laughs> that was the yeah. thing you needed to have a car and so course i got a couple of hoop tees you know we call them you know sometimes they break down and just like leave them where they was and just <laughs> okay. went and got another car you know okay. um okay. but yeah so i i remember doing that trek all the time and several times a week as soon as i got into beverly hills you know i'd be pulled over because I, I fit the description of something that happened oh. and, and any number of reasons it was just like it just it, it it was just part of the commute, really, and um, you know, so you get a car, then not a car, and then back on the bus and the train and public transportation, and being from Boston, which has one of the oldest public transportation systems in the country, uh, it's it it was a shock not to have a subway system, right? Uh, train station in L.A. as big as this city was, and um. So that was a trip. And then, you know, of course, I fell in, in, into it with it like everybody else. And, you know, I got a car. Um, then when I got back on a bike was when I went to, I, I enrolled in Antioch and I was getting a master's in ur urban sustainability. And for that process, I knew I wanted to do it full time because I couldn't get a job. I wasn't getting a job. And I had already... Um, shut down one of the businesses I had. I had a martial arts studio and I taught Capoeira and that was shut down and, you know, income was kind of low and I just needed to figure out what I was going to do. Um, I figured going back to school would give me that okay. space, you know. Um, but so in that, I had a car that I had just gotten into an accident as I was about to start school and it wasn't drivable. I didn't have enough money to fix it. 
I couldn't move it off of the street. So I was getting tickets when I didn't move what? it from one side to the other. And I was getting tickets because the registration was expired. It was just like enough already. And I'm still paying the car note. I'm still paying the insurance. It's just like, stop, enough. So I got rid of the car and uh, I got a bike and made the decision that because I was in a, a program and school wasn't too far from me that I didn't have to do anything else, just home and school until I got this process done. Um, and, and, and so that's what I did. And that's what got me back on a bike and got me back on a bike seriously. And as you know, you're, you're a graduate of Antioch. Mm -hmm. Social justice is a very big part of the curriculum. And so, you know, being on a bike, being in those classes, you know, um, talking about social justice. And it was just like, it became very glaring, the lack of um, infrastructure that was in South LA that I was dealing, I was riding in this stuff every day. Correct. And, so were um, you still over at the, by Paramount when this was happening or did you move no, to another location? No, I moved to another location. By this time mm -hmm. I was over by um, the Crenshaw Baldwin Hills Mall right behind there. So I was on West Boulevard in Santa, uh, Santa Rosalia. I got you, okay. Yeah, and and so the commute wasn't too bad, but those hills going up Starco, going up- Oh, serious. Sloss, up, yo, those yes. hills are serious. And I was yeah. I had to do that like every day. <laughs> it wow. was insane. Wow, that's like it training, just like pre-training for, you know, some <laughs> yeah. of these distance rides or the Ironman or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> With the yeah, riding was, you were doing, yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was pretty treacherous. Um, and yeah. I, you know, you, and then, you know, I wasn't thinking about like bikes, quality of bikes. And I just had, a, you know, growing up, you got a bike, you know. But I do remember like uh, as a teenager, we used to fix bikes and repaint them and, you know, like put them together and stuff Correct. like that. But it wasn't a career goal. It was just like, I was back on a bike just because it was the most convenient. And, uh, economical thing to do and right. then you know I was like yo you know and I'm doing my part for the environment all that kind of stuff it's all good um well you know so, it really makes me think also when you're saying this um I mean you really kind of carried when you came to LA you really brought kind of a practice you were already doing that you rode in Haiti you were riding right. in um in Boston. Boston and by the way uh, there's actually a report that just came out uh, by Black Women for Wellness. Actually, I'm not sure exactly when they posted it, um, but I'm sure it's recently um, with all the, um, you know, the peaceful protesting and mm -hmm. yet the violence that's happening to our Black and Brown lives um, on bikes, actually using, and in some cases, yeah. the bike has been used as a weapon by uh, mm -hmm. our police, um, but also it, those that are on bikes that are peacefully riding or just part of the protest are being attacked. So, um, right. but they actually have on one of their first couple first slides that um, policing in itself started in Boston. So to that know right? that, yeah, exactly. That's why I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to talk to Ade about this because basically in um, 1636, is a win actually it's the history of policing so basically that's wow. when it started in boston in 1636 what they called them night watch and uh, and wow. and the night watch um pretty much based on their research um 
really didn't do much, you know, within mm -hmm. um, basically it's, they, they kind of expanded to other colonies, but it did start there. And then basically in 1704 is when the slave patrol happened. So, you know, just to kind of know that it came from Boston and then today, you know, where we, which we'll go further into this conversation um, mm -hmm. a bit later, but I just wanted to, you know, to share that with you because I didn't know if you knew that, you know, with the I work. I didn't know that. Boston is good for a lot of firsts. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have problems there in terms of um, enforcement as a kid? I mean, is it was it like L.A. is today since that's where it all started? <laughs> so, you, you, you know, here's the funny thing. I know of a lot of stories about mm -hmm. uh, black and brown folks in Boston dealing with the police. Mm -hmm. Personally, I didn't have any of those. I don't have any of those stories in Boston. Interestingly enough, I have them for yes, L.A. I know you do. But yeah. I don't have them for Boston. And people tell me, I'm so, as a oh, kid, was, as a yeah. kid yeah. As, and as a teenager, all the crazy mm -hmm. stuff I did as a teenager was in Boston. It wasn't in L.A. By the time I got to L.A., I was mellowed out. I had done everything already. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. That's you crazy. Know? Yeah. And did you yeah. go like in all kind of different parts of Boston or did you kind of stay in one was, area that your parents told you don't, you know, go no. beyond these boundaries yeah. or, yeah. Yeah, I was everywhere in Boston. The huh. only place I didn't go in Boston was South Boston because like as a black guy, South Boston, you did not go because there was gonna be trouble. Okay. So I never went. You know, I, I never had any interest to go to South Boston, but I was in Chinatown, I was in Little Italy, I was in, um, up, I was all over Boston. So you, you know, walked, I, you biked, you took public transit, you uh, did all of yeah. this in all these different uh, communities in Boston. Yeah, yeah. And never had yeah. any problems. No. As a, not, as a young black man. As, as a young black man, not, yeah. with, the, not with the police. Right. Um, and, but I really feel like I was really protected back then too. It's like, um, you know, in a sense. Um, but yeah, but I remember uh, a lot of guys that I knew uh, went to school with had had those issues, you know. Um, my school bus yeah. um, used to have a police escort because the, the school was so oh, bad. Oh my God, okay. You know? um, yeah, Boston English sign in the eighties was no joke. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so for me, I have friends and folks that I know about all the stories. And I remember when um, the, the, the there was a guy that killed his wife mm -hmm. and he had blamed it on a black guy. And so I was actually in LA when that happened, but I had to, I happened to be in Boston during that time. Okay. Right. And um, the whole, you could feel the tension in the city because I like, can imagine if, if you were black and you was like five, nine, a hundred yes. something pounds, Correct. You didn't go out. Whoa. That's what, you know, when was this that day? When, when this like, is, about what year? This is like, a, this is in the 90s. This in is like, uh, yeah, this is in the 90s. Um, you know, and we've had several of those instances where, like, um, something happens, you know, somebody kills, you know, a white person would kill their wife or somebody and just, like, blame it on a black guy. And, right. um, you know, so the whole city, uh, the whole police department is going to everybody and just, like, stressing them out. You know, right. So I, I remember the tension in the city uh, around that time. But you but didn't yeah. have to experience that as a young 
teen um and because no. you said you moved to boston when you were 10 so actually you right. were like that was still part elementary school then middle yeah. school then middle teen. school and, and yeah, so you and didn't then, have that trauma placed on no. you that a lot of our young so when we try to talk to young boys which i know you're doing this now young um mm-hmm. you know young boys and girls about bicycling about going to the park, about moving around in our open space for recreation or using public transit. You know, there's a fear that we, that has to come along with that conversation now. And this is 2020, you right. know? And so I, I, and I know you're in this in terms of the work that you're doing at the shop. And I, I again, want to tap into that, but before we do that, based on your experience and then coming here to LA, and then becoming a semi-Iron Man through the process um, of all this riding that you're doing. Um, some, what, what, what made the connection to you to Antioch to, to go and, and you know, move into this space now of social and environmental justice? Because as I'm doing the history on African-Americans on bikes, um, I did a presentation in August, you know, in each of their stories, there's someone that has followed you or been connected in your life to even expose you to and, and expose our ancestors at this point to bicycling. So, you know, right. you look for what those what are those links, for instance, that introduced Major Taylor to bicycling? Well, his dad worked um, was um, kind of like a. Uh, not a butler, but someone that pretty much served a, a well-to-do family. And these mm-hmm. people were supposedly nice and they kind of adopted Major Taylor as one of their sons because they had a son. And right. that was how he was exposed to a bike. They bought him a bike because Major right. Taylor's family was, um, was very poor. And so, right. you know, their family wouldn't have been able to get the kind of bike this family gave them. So for you, what was your connection in coming to LA that connected you to this social justice movement and academic program at Antioch? Um, so I think the bike I got on because it, it was the most, you know, having experienced riding before, it was the most convenient thing for me to do and less, least expensive. Uh, the connection with social justice though was just through the coursework, right? Um, and then talking about my experiences as a black person in America, um, I didn't have any of, you know, like racism existed in Boston. I, I left the job because one of the managers called another worker, a nigger huh. at Oops. the job site. And I was like, yeah. and that's around the time, you know what, I'm just going to go and take a vacation. I'm leaving. And so when <laughs> I left, I literally just like, because it didn't happen on my shift. Yeah. It didn't happen when I was there, but that was the talk. And then, you know, ACLU and the WACP, all those people are coming now, like interviewing people. Oh, wow. I'm like, yo, uh-huh. I'm out of here. I, ain't, I don't have time <laughs> for this. And, and mind you, I had just come back really from traveling the world. So like my worldview has, complete, has, has completely shifted huh. at this point. Right? Okay, okay. I just, I, just, um, I had um, stopped in Hawaii. I was in Japan. I was in Hong Kong. But I spent majority of my time in mainland China studying. Wow in studying martial arts and then I left there and I liked Hong Kong so I stayed for uh for a few more months in Hong Kong right so um when I come back the whole world isn't the same to me anymore the people that I'm hanging out with every day I can't even hang out with you right now because my whole there's a whole shift that happened right transformation was starting to happen already right right 
And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to LA and visit LA. Because the person I came to visit in LA, I actually met in Hong Kong, right? Whoa. And so I'm staying in Santa Monica, you know, so hanging out. And eventually I stayed two years before I ever went back to Boston on a two-week vacation. So I, I basically quit the job, right? And yeah, so was your family I, worried about you doing it? I mean, like, what, what's going on with that day? Why is he, or Eric, why is he, this it doesn't make any sense. My, my family knows me. I'm like, this is like, <laughs> like I, I, you know, it's like, but even when I was in Boston, I'd stay home and I'd just go to like, I'd go to New York or New Jersey or someplace out and be, like, be gone for like three, four days, you know, okay. because at the time, so during my teenage years, junior year and high school years, um, I was competing in martial art tournaments. So oh, wow. it was nothing for me to like go to New York for the weekend and, you know, go to Connecticut or, you know, just like travel around. So, and, you know, I just get up and it was like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving. And when are you coming <laughs> right. back? Oh, I don't know yet. <laughs> you know? Okay. So they kind of okay. got used to me. And I, like, but that was your okay. style. Yeah. Yeah. It was my the thing. Two years is kind of, yeah, that, that, you really step. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I got into the program, ENIAC, it was it was really um, in talking about all the social construct and the um, and the systematic racism that happens. Um, you know that it was just like yo, and I'm experiencing this. Oh, I'm really experiencing this like every day on a bicycle. And so, but mind you, this was not the business I was gonna get into. This get opening up a bike shop was far from my purview i wanted to travel the world continue to travel the world doing community development work right um wow and you know as i'm riding my bike though i needed to fix my bike i go to the bike wave which is eight miles from where i was living okay my bike you know and uh i'm like yo this is ridiculous we need a place like this here so I would talk to the other guys that I knew that rode bikes and be like, yo, we need to open up a co-op. Everybody agreed, but nobody was moving on it. But, and I didn't want to move on it because <laughs> I'm trying to like leave the country and go. Right, you're trying you know, to figure travel. out where the next excursion is. Right, exactly. Yeah, and you couldn't like you have a, a moving bike co-op, you know, right. in the process. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, so when I started doing these pop-up repair clinics in Lemert Park and inviting people to come fix, you know, get their bikes fixed for free. It was just, you know, to help start that. that process, but I was trying to get that process started and leave. I see. You know, I just wanted it started and get people going with it. And then I wanted to leave because I wanted to go travel. I wanted to go back to Cameroon and I wanted to go to Nigeria. There's a lot of countries I want to go to. Ah, and, um, that's my mother country. Did you know? I just found out. Yes, Cameroon. Cameroon? Yes, Yo, I did uh, AfricanAncestry.com and through my maternal lineage, uh, that's where my grand, the grand, you wow. know, mother uh, is from on my mother's side. And the, um, is it the Baikal Island, which is okay. right off of Cameroon. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yes. You really should go visit it. Uh, I am. It's yes. a beautiful, beautiful place. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I was I was in Cameroon as well, back way back oh. in the 70s. Oh, okay, what part? Well, Duande, and then I went up into the mountain for a while. It was all oh yeah. It was raining up in there, so I didn't stay very long. 
I spent I spent the night under a fallen huge fallen tree. I don't know what the name of it was. And when I woke up, ants were all circling around me. I'll never forget it. And they didn't touch me. But uh, and then I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go back down. Um, you know, but it was a it was gorgeous uh, rain. You know, rainforest type uh, yeah. tree. And I, yeah. I was there after, you know, Idi Amin, well, Idi Amin was in Uganda. So you can imagine right. the whole atmosphere, you know, in many other countries nearby. I mean, Uganda is not that far away, but um, I, I traveled across Africa, for, you know. But anyway, okay. that's cool yeah. you guys were, you're from, or you're from there, Yolanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, exactly, it's a lot of work that has to be done now. You know, I know that part. I no longer have to say... Um, I know I have family from Africa, but I have no idea where because it's, you know, my family lineage um, or my mom and my dad um, had no idea. So to do this um, definitely was um, monumental. But the conversation's not on me. It is on our day. So we're well, going to move yeah, back. You, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, so you, you wanted to travel. You were in conversation with... Um, the bike microwave and other folks. Yeah. I know Don, um, Donald right. Strauss at Antioch was also, and I know you and I were even having yeah. conversations and, um, and then you, and now here you are. Um, is it what? Three years later? Yeah. Is three, it, four yes. years later. And we're at the shop. yes, right on bike co-op. It's a bike shop it's, and co-op. It's, it's a, it, yeah, it's a bike shop and work on co-op. Yes. I, and, I wanted to, I initially tried to start uh, to really kind of like duplicate what Microwave was doing. I really liked what they were doing. Um, but it just wasn't working over here. And mm -hmm. there was a lot of education that needed to take place. But I had already gotten into the space because I was trying to get the space. Uh, the previous proprietor of the, of the shop um, had a fabric store. And I wanted to, for him to let me, allow me to put my tools in the shop, so when I when we did the pop up repair clinics, that I wouldn't have to lug things back and forth. Yes. And, and, and as we got into conversation, his health was he was having an issue with his health, and um, he needed help with the rent. And when I fit, learned all that, I was like, "Yo, I'll help. Mm. I'll take care of it." Mm. I didn't have a job. I didn't even have a place to stay. Really, I was just like couch kind of surfing. <laughs> You know, it's right, like I didn't right. have a home, home, right? Um, correct, correct. I was staying with folks, um, but I was like, I'll do it. I'll, I'll take it on. And then when I went back to the folks that I knew about the space, it was pretty much crickets. I was huh. like, well, I already made a commitment, so I'm gonna do this thing anyway. So I and I started driving Uber to pay the rent in the space. Yeah, I remember that. And and so that's how we started. And uh, also, luckily, because of the work that I was doing with um, different community-based organizations, um, Danny Gamboa called me up one day. He was like, hey, um, I have access to like 50 bikes, but I don't have a place for them. I know you got a shop. Would you like to get 50 bikes? Hmm. Yes, I would like to get 50 bikes. So I went to the University of Irvine when he arranged it, and um, I was able to get 50 bikes uh, from U University of Irvine which started the repair business because I repaired those bikes and resold them at a, at a reasonable price to folks. And then I had also gotten an account with Pure Cycles um, 
to to sell bikes and, and and that's how I was able to start and now we have a few more uh we have giant rally and diamondback uh, some of the yeah um, yeah I mean it's very it's amazing it's uplifting when I look at your website you know and I know where you came from like right. all of us and, and what you had to to go through to kind of hold on and those question marks that are there in terms of what am I doing does this right. make sense? And I know, I know, you know, there's so many questions um, I have, and I'm sure even the listeners have, but I really, I think I'm going to just have to fast forward because it's already 741. And I really mm-hmm. want you to speak on why should, and what is the benefit of a black man having a bike shop, you know, in America? I mean, and, and, and let's talk about economics. Let's talk about, you know, just from your training that we do know, um, co-ops, and um, let's talk about sustaining, having a sustaining, you know, role and position in a space. And I'm asking a lot, so you can just pick up on this, but you're, you know, right. you are in Lamert Park that has Metro coming in, a lot of gentrification happening, a lot of right. conflict happening with the mall right down the street, which is a place that for me is, is home when you speak of home. So, you know, right. this space is home to many people and, and, and to many black lives in particular, you know, this is where we grew up. This is where we moved around. This is where we looked out for each other. We ate, you know, we partied, everything. Right. And so, and now everything's kind of up for grabs. So I'd like for you to really talk about the power of what you're doing and how, you know, how your company needs to grow and also make that connection to the co-op concept. Right. So um, for me, it was really important to be in Lamert Park. I have been coming to Lamert Park practically since I've been in LA since the uh, early 90s. Um, and to participate in the beauty, the art, the music, you know, it's, it's a lot of culture and creativity in Lamert Park. So I'm blessed and fortunate to have a shop here. And I wanted to be here and also to fight against uh, the gentrification that's happened, right? Because we have to claim space and we have to claim it and we have to name it. Um, And so that's what we're doing. I think that's what Damien and the folks at downtown Crenshaw are doing with regards to the mall. We really have to make that bold move. We we have to do it, Um, you know? And for me, uh, doing the co-op was, is is very intentional. I I tend to refer to myself as an anti-capitalist. You know, people Mm -hmm. look at me strange when I say that and I have a business. But um, business has always existed. Uh, exchange has always happened. You have something I need, I'll pay for it. And, you know, there's an exchange. But I think uh, this uh, capitalist system that we have now, this extreme capitalism, isn't good for anybody. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we're clearly seeing that. And so for me, I wanted to make a statement. And I also wanted to be like, to propose a different way of doing business to the community which is why it's a worker on co-op. It's like, look, there's so many different ways we can approach this. Um, and this is one of them, which one mm-hmm. I think that works. And um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're reaching out to folks and we got to do some more reach out because we need to get more black people in, in the cycling industry, right? And at all levels, mm-hmm. you know, and the mechan- and more mechanics need to be people of color, right? Um, mm-hmm. In the sport area, you know, in the shop, this shop is the first, bicycle shop in Lamert Park in over 30 years, right? The wow. last one was over by the mall at Mountain Square, right? Um, 
Oh, well, you know what? There was also one um, where, where I hung out with and, and Lynn, you know, a city of bicycles that was on um, Right, that was Inglewood. Right, Inglewood. in Inglewood. Yes. Which was, which is what, like three, four miles from here. Exactly, right? yes. Yeah. And so, Very but powerful. when you look at, you look at the West side, it was just Main Street. It was like five, six bike shops, like yeah. right next to each other. Practically, you can trip and fall on one, you know? Correct. It, 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 it's kind of like that. So, um, but for the South LA area, we still lacking um, of those. And that's, there are some accounts. And I think it's because we're at the location that we're at and probably because I'm a black owned bike shop that yeah. we haven't been able to get certain accounts. You know, yeah. it's like crickets when I reach out to them. You Correct. Know? So I don't know what it is. They're not saying what it is, but you know, I've been well, around for a while. Is. So <laughs> exactly, right? Same old, same old, you know. Exactly, exactly. Uh, it's like Major Taylor was the, which you have now this amazing mural uh, painted outside of your shop. And you can imagine here he is the world champion uh, right. of track cycling, um, phenomenal speeds and strategies to avoid getting knocked over on his bike when he passed his teammates. Right. Um, and that's how it's always running. It's always avoiding in order to simply just be and, and participate in a, a sport or in having a business um, and so right. I, we definitely have to rise above that. And so yeah, that answers my question for me of why a black man needs to have um, a co-op and more, you know, um, right. in terms of you are a role model, number one, that can introduce bicycling to other young people and older folks in terms of bicycling, um, because they don't see that. It's not common. You know, right. like you said, you can go on Main Street in Santa Monica, or you can go to Playa Vista or to um, El Segundo, you know, to all the bike shops. But then how will you be treated? That's the other thing. When you go inside, if you right. don't ask like the right questions, I mean, it might be a little better now, but I know just some years ago, if you didn't go in talking knowledgeable about what it is that you want, which, you know, could be the case beyond just bikes. Um, you can look, you can be looked down upon. So in terms of uh, right. black lives and we're saying, hey, you know, let's get on bikes. You know, let's make this a part of our lifestyle. Well, there's a fear of not even knowing like the right questions to ask when you go in a bike shop. And I right. think yep. I've, I've heard that people are very comfortable and, and when they come to your bike shop and have black folks in particular and have conversations, they're like, God, I, they really worked with me and, you know. Right. You know, I had somebody the other day just uh, say that he came by for something we didn't have because um, supply chain right now is really messed up. There's a lot of things we can't get. And so right. we was just talking about his bike. And so he was asking me, and, you know, I ran down the whole thing for him about the sizing of bikes. How do you do that? How do you, you know? And he was like, man, nobody's ever talked to me like you guys are talking to me right now mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. a bike. They make me feel like I'm like an idiot. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, there you go. But, right, and so for me, it's important. You know, it's always about education. For me, it's about uh, sharing information and knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's about serving. And, and interestingly enough, mm -hmm. I could count how many times I've been in a bike shop. I have not spent a lot of time in bike shops. Okay. Um, you know, I think the most time I spent around bikes is probably at microwave, 
microwave. Yeah. Um, and then I built the bike at the bicycle kitchen, right? Oh, um, okay. But those two places, but as far as bike shops are concerned, I couldn't tell you what the culture is. You know, it's like, I've probably gone in there to get a tube where I couldn't get in any place else and was the closest place to go. But um, you're right. I've never really felt comfortable going into a bike shop. I never thought about that before. I mean, the way you're saying it now, because I think when I think of bike shop, I think of City of Bicycles, and and it's been right. it's been it's been some years now since you know I've really kind of been in a bike shop other than you know yours. Um, but City of Bicycle right. became my home. You know, right. it was like a home away from home because that's how much riding I was doing. But I think it also encouraged me to ride, actually. Right. Because I had a place to go, we would hang out. And again, Lynn knows this, we would hang out for hours at the bike shop with my kids who were very right. young at the time. So I think it also becomes kind of this social gathering to even get acquainted with bicycling more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and so, and, and that's the kind of space I want to create. I want to be able to have people say, it's like, oh, I like coming here. It's like, it's cool to hang out. And we have right. some teenagers that come through you know, really working on making them feel comfortable, making sure that, you know, they get the stuff that they need and they know they can come here. It's like, if they're short on money, it's not going to be the end all. You know, you Correct. can still come through. Maybe you can come back and work it off, you know, something. But, you know, just building community is really what this space is really about. Yeah. So um, a couple other questions. Um, and then I definitely, you know, want you to put out there kind of since we're on this, what do you feel right on needs right now what kind of help do you need for those folks that are genuine about stepping up um and helping ride on um to go to the next level in terms of anything what what's your wish list these days uh wish list yeah. investors so we can really make this okay. thing happen <laughs> okay um, yeah but mm -hmm. yeah um but other than that i mean you know like the support is great we've you know we have some shirts that are uh, that we've been putting out. They've been selling well. That's one great way to support. We also have um, some new helmets that we have um, our logo on that we're selling. Right now, we don't have any bikes, so I can't say come on and purchase a bike. But we're supposed to get bikes in September. It's October. You have a waiting it's list? A Is it a waiting list right now? Yeah. Is that how it's handled? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, um, but there's other stuff that we're, that we're doing. You can come and get it. We have a water bottle um, that we just got with our brand on it. Um, you know, helmets with our brand on it and t-shirts. And um, yeah, and as we can, we're fixing bikes, but there's certain things that we can't do right now because supply chain again is, um, is kind of messed up. So we can't get certain supplies in right now. You and know. who are you working with right now in terms of your community-based um, education work? Can you share some of that with us real quick? Um, are you doing stuff with Metro? Um, no, we're not, do uh -huh. we're not doing anything with Metro right now. I'm actually working on um, some, a couple of e-bike projects, right? Uh -huh. What's the brand? The brand is uh, Ride On Bike Shop, and that's the logo. Nice. Um, and then we also have Phil Akuti holding up a bike. So if you know the history of Phila and the Afrobeat that he created and how socially active he was in uh, mm -hmm. addressing social ills in, in Nigeria, but what he was talking about is actually speaks to the world really mm -hmm. in wherever you're at. So, which is yeah. why I chose him as one of the people to put on the shirt to oh, hold nice. up the bike. 
because I think okay. uh, the message. I have one of those. Is that the T-shirt I have with the? Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, holding up a bike. The man yeah. that's holding the bike up. Yeah, yeah, that's Fela Kuti. Oh, I think is that me? Fela Anikulapo Kuti, the creator of Afrobeat. Um, are we still on? I think there's something frozen. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm back. Yeah. I thought it was you, yeah. but it was me. <laughs> yeah. So is that the t-shirt I have, the one that he's holding the bike up? Yes. Yeah, yeah. okay. And, and my, uh, my last question for you, and then I'd like for you to share all of your contact information is, um, you know, we, you hear um, in our chant and in our narrative of Black Lives, we talk about joy. Um, mm -hmm. I've actually done some uh, all ongoing reading, you know, that pretty much started back with Antioch and before, um, but in terms of belonging and, you know, this, mm -hmm. this concept of uh, and construct of belonging in a place, our ecosystem and becoming a stranger. And I, I, I know that's kind of how I feel like in my neighborhood with all the uh, massive development coming in. Mm -hmm. So I think your space really does kind of, is kind of creating that space, that eco space of people feeling like they can belong as we, in this bicycle conversation, you know, that we're having. And in right. this, um, and also the, you know, I can see the power behind how you can connect that to so much from mobility justice to our climate crisis and how we have to educate our communities and our people about climate. And, and bicycling is one of those solutions, you know, um, but right. we have to find ways to be creative about that because while we have all these other movement leaders like Naomi Klein and one of our instructors, Gopal, Dayanetti, mm -hmm. you know, so many powerful folks, we still, there's still a major gap in terms of, right. you know, folks like, I don't have conversations about climate crisis. I mean, you know, it's raining and, you know, there's a hurricane, there's always been hurricanes. So, you know, I, I, I see your spot as uh, potentially being a hub for educating mm -hmm. on so much, but where, where does, where do you see black joy kind of coming out of the, what you're doing? Can you describe Man. kind of what black joy is coming out of Ride On? Man, black joy is just like, we constantly have to create it, right? And um, just think, we're here. We're, it's like 2020. We're here. We've been right. here for like uh, several centuries. Yeah. And the only reason we've been able to maintain through this horrendous uh, enslavement process was by being able to create joy, right? Yeah. And I think oh, a lot so. of folks haven't been able to understand that. It's like, oh, y'all are still able to smile, still yes, able to like create true. joy. Yes. and live and, and, and still be able to find joy. Yeah, we create it. We are very good at creating joy, yeah. um, even through this process. So um, on Sundays, you should see what this the front of the shop looks like. It's just like, it looks like a festival. And wow. I was telling a friend of mine the other day that- with Is it a is, festival this, with mask a day? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you, 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 you have your outline, you, yes. you know, folks that's like, yeah, we don't believe it. It's like, but even yeah. with that, it's like COVID is nothing compared to what we've been through for the past 500 years. Huh. Mm. You know? Yeah. We've made it this far, COVID. Correct. You know, so, and that's what I see, like, on Sundays, it literally last Sunday, I was just like, like, yo, there's way too many people out here. It was <laughs> that many people. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe it. was like yeah. two to three DJ setups, people out here dancing you know, living life and, and really enjoying uh, yes. each other, the company and the area and just like, you know, 
and so and it's very intentional right it's, it's saying like yeah we know what's going on around us but we we are staking a claim we are not leaving we're not going to make this easy wow. you know we're not just going to buy down and, and just scoot along and move so you can like spend all these no we, we're going to be here for it so yes. i think it's really joy is like is is very very important um yes. you know so i i do things in the shop to actually uh facilitate that you know i mm-hmm. i like to say i wanted to have the shop here in lamert park because i wanted to contribute to the beauty that i see here in lamert right yes. and um and part of that i'm sandwiched between the world stage which is next to me and now soul folks which you, before that it was barbara morrison's jazz and blues museum so music was always coming through my wall. It's amazing. It's music yes. always outside and so music and art and it is very important in this community and um and I DJ on Saturday tomorrow night I'm going to be DJing outside in the alley. For I'm going to try to make it tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. I, I I wanted to come back because of the uh blues guitarist that was playing, you know, the oh, yeah. last a couple of weekends ago when I saw right. you. And right. um and he was there this past weekend again, right? Yeah, yeah. He's here every Saturday now. Oh, he's there every Saturday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll be back. Um and yes, it's a it's a beautiful energy. And even when I saw you, you know, my daughter, I needed I had her with me and she needed to come home and take care of her bearded dragon. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna have to drop you off and go back. Cause the, the right. energy it was healing. And it was, right. and I can and, and people were distancing themselves in terms of clusters. If you were if it was right. you and your family, then right. everyone sat together in their little, you know, pods. Um, but I think it it definitely was a beautiful thing. I was totally promoting it on Facebook, like the whole time I was there and, um, you know, and the shops, as you said, um, you have a new shop that's right next door to you, a clothing store with um, powerful messages. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. And I, you know, you know, I'm like one of your number one fans. Um, yep. You might not have seen me at the shop as much because mm-hmm. I'm over here trying to figure out how to sustain too. But, um, right. you know, we that's about how we align and help each other. And the fact that yeah. just for folks that are listening, uh, Ade and I um, basically both um, are now colleagues out of Antioch, um, which is a social and environmental justice uh, master's program that's being now chaired by another one of our friends, and colleagues, um, Dr. Adonia Lugo, who works with us too, and in any possible way that she can help us. So um, I just want to definitely get the word out all day on what you're doing. So for those that are listening tonight, and then this is a recorded um, podcast. So folks definitely, you know, share it with your friends and um, let's just keep this going. I know we have developers that are, you know, I'm looking at ways that as a vice president of a neighborhood council here at West Adams, that when we're talking to these developers, when you talk about um, sustainable and, and businesses and kind of this um, this co-op uh, treatment, right. how could possibly your you know your vision and what you're doing there kind of spread throughout Los Angeles right. um, and with other bike leaders, um, black and brown lives? Um, so can you share your contact information with everybody so they know how to reach you and any other particulars events you have coming up? Okay, um, right on Bike Shop uh, is uh, the webpage, right on bikeshop.com. Uh, social media is right on Bike Co-op on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, 
We're at 4319 Degnan Boulevard, Los Angeles, 9008. This address of the shop. And um, phone number for the shop is 323-903-5043. Uh, best way to get in touch, though, I would probably say is Instagram uh, DM. Um, but yeah. Yeah. You have any rides coming up? So, um, no, um, I don't have any rides coming up, but I'm working on two projects um, that's going to allow folks in the community to, um, to use e-bikes. So one project we're working on with Lacey and um, uh, e-bike company that's going to be um, using, uh, having bikes available here that people can use to actually do um, delivery work. So if you oh. deliver, if you do delivery, you'd be able to like use the bike for that and um, also rent to own the bike at, oh, at the price, be. not double that, not double the price of the bike. Um, Put me on that list, please. Oh, uh, word. <laughs> and also the, the other one that I'm working on um, is a, a bike library that I'm working on with some folks that you know, actually. Oh Who's boy that? is, oh boy. Oh boy. From, oh, uh, are you yeah. serious? Oh, cool. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We talked yes, this week. Exactly. Oh, bye. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, bye. Yeah. 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 So, Very nice guy. Yeah. yeah. So we're working on a bike library program that's are you? going that's to be happening so here soon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Is it going to have cargo bikes in it? Is it going to have cargo bikes in it? No, it's not going to have cargo bikes yet, but we're, we're working on that. The previous program we have is a, is a, it's it's not a cargo bike per se, but it's a heavy duty bike that you can actually use for deliveries. Nice. Well, definitely, I'll be talking to Obai on. Um, I think we talked this week, but we're going to kind of have our weekly call-ins, and so I'm happy okay. he's already made that connection to yeah. you here in LA. The name of his company, which is I'm still trying to it's, get it, but it's Equiticity. Equiticity, yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Equity well, thank. Yes, I love it. I love it. So thank you again for joining us. And, um, you know, I'll be seeing you soon. I might see you actually tomorrow, right. tomorrow evening right. over with the music and the healing yep. uh, taking yeah. place. Um, thank, thank you, you so everybody much for, for Yeah, for sure. And thanks everyone for listening and just respecting the space. And Don and Nick, again, I always thank you for the opportunity um, to have uh, We the People Black Lives Rolling on Bike Talk. Thank you. Thank you. That was that was amazing interview. You covered so much. You do so much. Yes, I do. Thank you. Much. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and, and so. we still have a couple people, Marvin and Jennifer. Thanks for hanging out. Yes, for sure. I want to yeah. say I, I just met Ade recently because he's on our, our Los Angeles yeah. Bicycle Advisory Committee. Oh, yeah. nice. Oh, very cool. It's very cool. And he's CD9. So I'm definitely yeah. going to uh, publish this on our Facebook and website because oh, he's Thank now you, a Jennifer. Yeah. yeah. Right. I didn't I realize you're yeah. CD9. So you're like one block no. over from CD10 or what? Yeah. Am I so getting. I'm, yeah. I'm, co I'm covering all the districts. You are. <laughs> <laughs> you're I, right I, at I, that I, intersection, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're I live really happy. Yeah. That you're I, on there. Uh, they, I yeah, now I'm I, happier, you know. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I live. I live in city. I live in city eight. My shop is in city ten, and current price accepted me as a, a <laughs> commissioner for, for city nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. And, and that was the one. 
that that nobody was filling, right? For, yeah, yeah, for I don't know how many years. It was terrible. And I was always asking current price. And finally, yay, we got Ade. And, yes, and that's a, definitely a plus. Carino got him. Remember Carino Ade? Do you yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, I remember Carino, yes. Yeah, he's yeah. the one that did it. So that's so awesome. Somehow. That is, it is, you know, and I think what's so cool about that, like you guys are saying, it's just that cross platform, you know, of yep. experiences. Right. And so you're able, you're able to share like with us, come back over here on this side and share with us on CD 10, you know, things that you guys are doing and, and right. CD nine, and then we can share with you what we're doing. So you kind of are that person now that we can yeah. cross. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know we can yeah. go on and on. Um, Nick and Don, do you guys have anything else you wanted to? Uh, no, we're 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 good. I uh, I'm actually I, I don't know what happened to Don, but we're I'm good. Okay. Don fell asleep, or who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Went to get a martini no, or I his sunglasses. He watched the liquor game. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh. that is happening. Oh. Yeah, he posted a bitch, but he's watching the Laker game. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, cool. Okay. Well, thank you guys again. Um, I'm going to chime you. off. Nice right. to see you. Yolanda, I think I saw you, you in Trust LA. Oh, really? Okay. Um, well, there, no. there's, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I actually, I did talk with Edgar, uh, the executive director, for the first time uh, this week on some things. So there's so much going on. And That's when um, I was recruiting for CD9, I was down there. Oh, really? It was a couple of years ago. Okay. I, I, think I recall you were there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that probably was a couple of years ago. It was the last time uh -huh. I was there. Um, I'm going to jump off somebody's up the yeah, door. Yeah, me too. Okay. Thank, you for, thank, thank you for having you guys. me. Shows I care Every turn of the pedal Cleans the air Green in the green I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas A tiny carbon footprint Up your ass I'm on a motherfucking bike Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk If you want to hear more Go to kpfk.org Navigate to Programs and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the Archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.